What's the most unexpected good thing you've ever experienced? I want you to think about that question for a second. What's the most unexpected good thing that you have ever experienced? Think about it throughout the sermon. Tell me after worship or, or send me an email this week. I'd love to hear from you. This week, as we're wrapping up our series we've been in called Unexpected, I've been thinking about that question, and so I put it out on Facebook this week to see what people had to say, and there were some really amazing answers. I mean, one person said, the most amazing thing that was unexpected that it's ever happened to me is I was walking down the street and I found $500 cash on the ground. I mean, that, that's pretty good, right? You know, that's pretty exciting. Another person said that when they were graduating high school, the next day where he lived, he, he was, uh, grew up in a mill village in Georgia, he was expected to go to work in the mill. But instead of going to work that day, his parents woke him up and said, hey, get in the car, we're going to New York City to go and see the Yankees play. His lifelong dream. I mean, that's, that's pretty good, right? Uh, on Facebook, a lot of people mentioned their, their children as the most unexpected good gift that they've ever received in their lives. Um, and one person even mentioned that going to jail was the most unexpected good gift that they've ever received because it was there that God really got their attention and kind of woke them up. So think about that question. What's the most unexpected good thing you've ever experienced? When I think about it, I think um, about Chicago in uh, 2009. 2009, spring break. And uh, I, I, this was unexpected good because I had spring break plans that year with some of my buddies. They got canceled at the last minute. And all my other friends were going on a cruise, so it was too late for me to go on the cruise. And so instead, I went on a campus ministry mission trip there in Chicago, inner city on the south side. And it was there that I met Emily, who is now my wife. Um, and so we met each other there. And uh, when I asked Emily what her favorite unexpected good thing in her life was, it was in Chicago in 2016, when unexpected for her, we got engaged there um, on, on the, is it lake or river? I don't even know, right? We just showed up, I proposed. And um, all of these people, we don't know these people. Um, <laughs> People were so ecstatic that they were witnessing an engagement that somebody asked if they could have a photo with us. And um, so there were, I had hired a photographer to capture all of it. And so this is one of my favorite photos of that day because you can see all the other people's joy at seeing this unexpected, good, amazing moment. And for Emily, it was kind of unexpected because I think she was wondering after like three years of dating if I was ever going to ask her to marry her. Uh, but I did, and uh, it was an awesome time. And you can see their emotion in this picture is pretty ecstatic and pretty joyful. I mean, I was, Emily was as well. And this makes sense because researchers who research surprises and unexpected things say that when something unexpected happens in your life, your emotions, for good and for ill, surge to 400% of what you normally experience. And so rather than just feeling a little joy or a little happiness, all of a sudden when unexpected good things happen, you're filled with those things and they become seared in your memory. And so when I think back to 2,000 years ago and think about if we were to go around Jerusalem, maybe in the surrounding areas and ask them, hey, what is the most unexpected good thing you've ever experienced? I think a lot of people, if we asked them, would say, well, it was a few years ago on the 50th day after the Passover, 
I and thousands of other people were in Jerusalem. We were there celebrating festivals, celebrating God, giving Moses the law at Mount Sinai. We were bringing our first fruits there to the temple. And that is when it happened. That's when the unexpected happened. And then I think they basically tell us what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2. Here's what, what Luke writes. He says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Here he's talking about, about 120 believers in Jesus Christ. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? I mean, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. I mean, think about... This story, try to put yourself in this story 2,000 years ago. I mean, this was some unexpected stuff happening for everybody involved. I mean, the 120, they were gathered together because Jesus said, hey, wait and pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But they didn't know exactly what the Holy Spirit manifestations were going to look like. And so then the room they're in is filled with wind. Things, it's like tongues of fire over their heads, and then they all begin praising and shouting wonders of God in languages that they have never learned, right? I mean, that's pretty wild. They weren't expecting to do that. And then just imagine all these other people, thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem for this festival. They've come together to give praise to God when all of a sudden they start hearing people shouting the wonders of God in their own languages. Now, you have to realize some of these people traveled thousands of miles to be here at the temple. They spoke dialects that were very localized, languages that people outside of their region didn't know. And so then they look up and they see these people shouting to God in their own languages and they're thinking, what is going on here? I mean, this is like being somewhere in Asia and somebody shouts out, hey man, how you doing, right? You're like, what? How does this person know my language? Like, they are stunned and it's all unexpected. And I mean, their reactions are the same reactions we have when something unexpected happens for good. I mean, at first there's amazement. I mean, they're like, how are these people? These aren't like scholars. These are uneducated people speaking our language. How is this happening? So they have amazement. There's wonder at what they're saying about the wonders of God. And then, of course, the confusion comes in. Because they're like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense, right? When you find $500 on the ground, you're like, no, this is some hidden camera TV show. You're like trying to figure out because you have no category for it. So these people, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then people start trying to make explanations. And some people, thankfully, they just ask, what does this mean? And other people, 
figure out, they're like, you know what, maybe they're just drunk and they're shouting and it kind of sounds like our language is. They're, they're trying to rationalize everything going on here, but, but there's no way to rationalize it because this is a work of God. And so then Peter, he's there in the midst of them and he begins to answer this question, this question, what does this mean? And so the story continues. Peter stands up with the 11, raises his voice and he addresses the crowd and he says this, He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, right? It's a little too early to be drinking. No. What's happening, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, Peter says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the sermon continues, and I encourage you this week to, to read the full sermon in Acts chapter 2. The sermon continues, and he explains that, look, the promises that God made in the past through prophecies and in other ways, the promises that God made in the past are now being fulfilled in your midst. They've been fulfilled through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He tells them, look, Jesus now reigns with God in heaven. He has been exalted And now God is pouring out his spirit on all people just as Joel prophesied. And he says, look, here's the amazing thing. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can experience the forgiveness of sins. You can experience salvation. You too can receive this spirit that the prophet Joel talked about. And then 3,000 people came to faith that day, they accepted his message, and they were baptized. I mean, this is pretty unexpected for Peter, right? I mean, any preacher will tell you that kind of response after a sermon, that is unforgettable and unexpected, and you just write that one down in your book, and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. It was unforgettable, unexpected for him. For the other people there, I mean, it, it was unforgettable and unexpected because in that instant, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit transformed their lives. And it was unforgettable for everybody who was even around who didn't accept the message. Because what they witnessed that day was God doing something, God working in a way that they hadn't experienced in the past. Because the reason all these people were in Jerusalem, they were there for the festival, but they were there because it was there in the temple that God's presence was made manifest. I mean, we know that that God is omnipresent. He's present in all places. But God is not always present in all places in the exact same way. And so we see that in the temple, God said, I want a special dwelling place among my people. And so people would travel from a long way off to go to Jerusalem, to be near God's presence, to worship, to offer gifts. They went to the temple in those days. And now look, when the temple was first dedicated... We see in the Old Testament that at one point, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices that were there. Wind 
clouds filled the temple. These were signs of God's presence. And so now on this day, they see those same signs of God's presence coming upon people. They see that God is doing something new, that God's presence is no longer limited to the temple, but instead God's presence is being poured out on people, these people who have the wind around them and who have these tongues like fire on them. And they see that God is doing something new. God's presence is being made known among his people. And when it comes to the people, I mean, this would have been astounding too because they see it's not just that God's presence is being made known to like the priests or men, like they might expect, but God's presence was being poured out upon women, upon children, upon the rich, upon the poor, upon all these different people, and that would have been kind of shocking to them. And they saw that as God's presence was being poured out among his people, that it was being poured out for a purpose. And the purpose we find through these these foreign tongues that they're speaking And by the fact of Peter's sermon when he says all people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, we see that their purpose is to go and to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to all people in all places. They saw something amazing and unexpected that day. And for them, this would have been a truly unforgettable experience. But this isn't just a story for them back then. This is a story that we have to remember today. We have to revisit it again and again because this story is the story of the church being born. This story is our story. This story reveals to us who we're called by God to be in the world today as the church. And now 2,000 years later, if we were to poll people on the street and ask them, you know, what is the church, probably get a lot of different answers, right? I mean, some people would say, look, the church is a building. They're they're on every street corner in the South. You can't get, get around them. You can't get past them. Some people say it's a building full of people. Other people say the church is a group of people who do nice things, who serve others. Some people would say the church is like a clique of judgmental people. They say, oh, it's just a nonprofit, you know, they should pay taxes, but they don't, and they're always just trying to get people's money. Other people might say, oh, yeah, that group, they indoctrinate children. Oh, yeah, church, that's where you go if you want to, you know, learn what's wrong with you and you just want to feel guilty all the time, right? You know how it is. If you went and asked, hey, what is the church, we would get a variety of different answers. If we just asked in this room, what is the church, we'd get a variety of answers. And there's a lot of things that the church is and the church isn't. But here we see some of the core things of who we're called to be as the church, who the church is supposed to be in the world. And one of the first things we see here is that the church is, first of all, people. And we can never forget that. Right? I mean, you've, you've heard that old saying, the church isn't a building, it's people, right? Isn't that how it goes? Yes. Okay. I just make sure I got that, got that right. The church isn't, isn't that right? Isn't that how it goes? The church isn't a building. The church is people. It's an old saying. It's very simple. It's kind of trite now, but it's very true. 
But it's easy to forget that in the midst of programs, in the midst of property, in the midst of pensions, in the midst of buildings, right? And fixing lights and screens and all this kind of stuff. It's easy to forget that the church is people and that ultimately all of our resources, spiritual, physical, all of them should be in service to people. People should be our priority. We can never forget that as the church. And not only should people be our priority, the people of the church should reflect the diversity of the world. I mean, that's what we see here, right? There are people from all different nations, all different backgrounds, all different languages coming to faith in Jesus Christ because, as Peter says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This isn't just limited for one group of people or one demographic. And so the church universal should represent the diversity of the world and our local church should represent the diversity of our community. Because if we're going out and we're sharing Jesus with the people around us, then we will reflect the people who are here. The church is, first of all, people. People are the priority. But what we find here is that it's not just that the church are people who believe differently or behave differently or do weird things like go to worship on Sunday morning instead of going to brunch or sleeping in on a rainy day. We see that it's not just that the church are simply another group of people like other groups of people in the world. We see that the church is God's people who are filled with God's presence. That the church are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we celebrate on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the church. And Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says it this way. He says, don't you know that you, and here he's using you plural, don't you know that you, y'all, are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst? He's saying, look, God's spirit that, that used to be confined to the temple, now it dwells in you, his people. You are the presence of God to this world and you are the presence of God to this community. But he doesn't, he doesn't just stop there in Corinthians and say, look, y'all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Later, he does speak personally to people and he says, you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then that affects how we use our bodies, how we live in this world. And when we think about what it means for the Holy Spirit to come inside of us and to do something new and to transform us, all we have to do is to look at Peter here to see the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do. I mean, look at Peter. When's the last time we really kind of see Peter's big cameo? It's before Jesus is crucified. And what does he do? Before Jesus is crucified, he denies him. Not once, not twice, three times, he denies Jesus out of fear. Fear for his own life, fear for his future. This guy who's brash and is always just kind of speaking his mind, he is a coward at that time. But now, I mean, this isn't that, that long later. This is like, you know, less than two months later. He's preaching boldly to thousands of people. Now he has great wisdom from God. Now he has courage to share the good news of God. Courage 
to do things that are controversial in this time. And we see throughout his life, he continues to go to be led by the Holy Spirit. He continues to share Jesus Christ with all people. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit transforms his life so much that instead of denying Jesus Christ like he did back then, he ultimately dies for Jesus Christ in the end. He dies as a martyr on a cross like Christ. The Holy Spirit transformed his life. Gave him courage and boldness and wisdom. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that in our lives as well. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit makes a home inside of us. But being filled with the Spirit, this isn't just like a one-time thing. You know, it's like, oh, yep, I was filled with the Spirit, you know, 72 years ago, and I'm, I'm good to go now. No, this is an indwelling we need every day. This is an indwelling our church needs every week, every day, every moment. That's why one of the most ancient prayers of the church is come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill us again. We are your vessels. We want to be used by you. We want your presence inside of us. We want to be your presence to the world. And I heard Joyce White, she, she gave this metaphor a little while back. She said, you know, Here's what life is like with the Spirit, and here's what life is like without the Spirit. She said, you know, life without the Spirit is kind of like cutting grass with an old push mower. Anybody, anybody cut their grass with a, with a push mower? You know, isn't it terrible in Georgia in the summer? It's like the weeds just grow up. If your yard's like mine, it's just like weeds every week. It's rough. You know, you're on a hill, you're sweating, and it, it's just terrible. And you're like, you know what? I wish I could save up a little money to get a yard guy like everybody else in my neighborhood so I didn't have to do this, right? It's not fun. It takes a lot of energy. So that's what life is like kind of without the Spirit when we're trying to do it on our own. But life with the Spirit is when you have that same lawnmower. And maybe some of y'all have this when You have the self-propelled lawnmower. Anybody got that one? That's what I have. Thank you, Jeff White, for the lawnmower. You know, you can push it, and it's rough. Or you can just hit that little bar. You can engage that thing, and then, man, you just start moving, right? You just start going. You have to be careful, or it'll just run out into the street. Because then it's not your power making it go. No, then it's that power inside giving you energy going before you. That's what life is like with the Holy Spirit. When we're being led by the Holy Spirit, God's presence lives inside of us. It's a new power that's not of ourselves, and it gives us life. It gives us boldness. It gives us courage. It gives us the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these things we can't manufacture on our own. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, the Holy Spirit works with power. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come and fill us just for our own good. The Holy Spirit always empowers us for a purpose. And for 2,000 years, the purpose of the church has not changed. The purpose of the church has not changed. Yes, at different times, the church has forgotten its purpose. And we've done other things. But the purpose remains the same. It's the purpose we see in this story. The purpose we see Jesus in his final words before he ascends into heaven that he gives to the church. He says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He was prophesying about the day of Pentecost. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
that mission that Jesus gave, the mission that they began living out on this Pentecost Sunday is the same mission we have today. Our purpose is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and to share the good news of what he's done for the world and what he's done for us with everyone we come into contact with. People here in Henry County, people in the regions beyond, and we're called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ unto the ends of the earth. In the book of Acts, it details the spread, the spread that continues today. We have been given a purpose, and we're called to live out this purpose to be witnesses with our words and with our actions. With our words as we share with our friends and neighbors what Jesus Christ has done for us, Sometimes we make this complicated and we think it's scary, but all it is is just saying, look, here was my life before Christ. Here's how I met Christ and realized what he's done for me. And now here's my life since Christ has transformed it. It's simple as that. It's sharing what Christ has done for us personally and what he has done for the world. Given us the gift of salvation. It's not only with our words, it's also with our actions. It's feeding the hungry like we're doing through the cereal box challenge. It's reaching out to the vulnerable and those in need. It's fighting injustices like human trafficking in our world. And now here's the thing, a lot of times we kind of veer one way or the other. Some of us are really comfortable sharing Jesus you know, with our actions. Some of us are more comfortable sharing him with our words. But we're called to be witnesses with both. It's like two wings of an airplane. Because here's the deal. If you share Jesus Christ only with your words and then your actions, you're just mean-spirited and judgmental and you hate people, guess what? Nobody's gonna listen to the good news of Jesus that you're telling them. And that's one reason why the church has a bad name in a lot of people's hearts. But if you you just go around doing good and you never explain to people why you're doing good, who has given you this mission, then, then people will be recipients and that's a good thing but they might not ever come to know why and who you're doing it on behalf of, Jesus Christ. And so we have to be witnesses with our words and with our actions. And when we're witnesses to Jesus Christ, when we're living out our purpose, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's then as God's people that we will make an impact in this world and an impact in people's worlds for eternity. We will do things that are unforgettable and unexpected. Unexpected good in people's lives. One of my favorite stories this week on Facebook that somebody shared was a mentor of mine. His name's Don. And he was my youth group leader, volunteer leader, from when I was in sixth grade to 12th grade. And now look, I was, I, was, I was a terror as a kid, okay? He was a volunteer for six years, and, and Don, he was an awesome guy, dedicated to the students. And when I was in high school, Don was working construction at the time over in Little Five Points. He was up on 30 feet of scaffolding when the scaffolding fell. So he cracked his neck in a few places. He didn't have insurance. He didn't have workman's comp, the way this stuff was situated. And so he, he was in a pretty terrible situation. He was laid out. I went and visited him one day. It's just helpless, right? A man in this house, there's nothing I could do. 
But some kids in the youth group, they came to Don and they said, Don, we see your suffering. You've served us so well. We'd like to do a bake sale to help pay off your medical bills. Don was like, oh, you know, that's sweet, right? Kids want to help. Okay, you know. It's kind of humbling as a grown man when kids say they want to help you pay off your medical bills. But he needed the help. So he said, that's sweet. Y'all go on and do that. So he, you know, the kids did the bake sale at the church, selling brownies and cakes and that kind of stuff. And a few weeks later, a man came to Don and gave Don a check and said, here's the check from the bake sale. And the check was for $10,000. So I called Don yesterday because I'd never heard this story. You know, I was in high school. I wasn't part of the bake sale. I was like, is this for real? And he said, yeah, it was for $10,000. I, I, don't, I don't know how they did it or how much baked goods they sold or what happened, but that was the best unexpected gift I've ever received in my life, I think. And he said... He praised God for it then and he continues to praise God for it now because it always reminds him that when God's people, even children, are living by the power of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit, that they can make a great impact in the world. They can be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And he said, that gift is a reminder to me always that my heavenly Father loves me and cares for me. And it came through children. In church, when we're living as God's people, empowered by God's presence, His Holy Spirit, living out our purpose, we will do unforgettable things in this world and we will do unexpected good. So let's pray that it might be so. Holy Spirit, We want to tell you that you are welcome in this place right now. You are welcome in this body, the body of Christ, the temple of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome and we pray that you would fill us today. That you would fill us so that we can pour out our lives for the sake of others, to bless them and to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, some of us in here, we're we're on empty. We're on empty. We don't know what to do. We don't, we don't have any energy. We've tried to manufacture joy, peace, all that stuff in ourselves. We can't. So Holy Spirit, we ask that in our emptiness that you would come and fill us. Holy Spirit, some people in this room are looking to the future and they don't know which way to go. God, we don't know exactly where you're leading us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give divine guidance this morning. Holy Spirit, as a church seeking to live out the purpose you've given us in this world, we pray that you would guide us as a church into the future, that you would open doors in this community for service, for love, to witness to your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would pour out spiritual gifts upon us this morning gifts that we've never experienced before. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Holy Spirit, give us exactly what we need. Give us the ability to surrender our lives and to say to you, we are your people. Fill us with your presence. 
Send us out for your purposes in this world. Holy Spirit, come.